My name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Today's guest is Victor Chikalogwe, a Malawan LGBTQ plus activist and the director for South Africa's People Against Suffering, Oppression, and Poverty. The acronym is PASSOP. Today, Victor will share with us his personal and professional journey as an advocate for LGBTQ plus equal rights. So welcome, Victor. This is a shock of my life. Of course, I know on a daily basis, I have interviews with people. I have interviews with media houses on different issues, women, uh, refugees, children, and queer community. I've been in South Africa for the past 10 years or so. I live in Cape Town. That's where I operate from. I really appreciate you being interviewed for this podcast. As I mentioned before the recording, I came across your bio in the month of February when I was researching ways to promote Black LGBTQ plus people in America for America's Black History Month. So yeah, I was really excited that you agreed to the interview. Where are you at in this moment right now? We are in autumn now, but we'll be entering winter, I think, next month. As you know, South Africa, we enjoy summer. Summer is the base season of South Africa where we know we can go wine tasting, we can do whatever we want. Now entering a winter, it's, it's, it's hectic. Especially for me, working with queer people, this COVID, most of them, they lost their jobs, they are homeless, they're in the street. It's hectic. When you're entering winter, always not that, okay? But anyway, it's a season, so we're excited we're going to winter again. Yeah. So you mentioned COVID. How has COVID affected South Africa and Cape Town? As you might be aware, South Africa is one of the countries that has been hit with COVID. Right now, we're talking of 1.6 million cases that have been identified in South Africa. Of course, we are at the 95% recovery rate. But at the same time, we've lost about 50,000 plus people. We're looking at those people who are still alive, but they lost their jobs. Most of the businesses are closed. As an organization that is working with already marginalized people, it has been a tough year for us. We even lost some of our friends. I should say every month we always check how many cases did we have. These cases might be someone who wants medical attention, someone who wants legal support, someone who wants maybe food. But now because most of the people have lost their jobs, even those people who never thought of coming to us to seek for support, now they're coming to us to say, you know, I've never been here to ask for anything, but now I've lost my job, I'm homeless, I've been evicted from my house, so I need your help. So it has been tough for us, even to the donors, now they're not able to support us the way they were used to be because the demand for this, the support that they can offer to us is high even to other people from other countries and other organizations. Wow, okay. I also have to tell you that I contacted COVID at a certain point because we were involved in food distribution. 
and we also established a clinic, a mobile clinic, because of the restrictions where people could not go out or go to the clinic to fetch their medication for those who are taking ARVs or they're taking PrEP. We decided quickly to establish a small mobile clinic. I ended up contacting the virus and I didn't even notice until I got tested. It's difficult to say we can work from home throughout. We are providing the service on a daily basis. Well, thank you for being one of those people on the front line, and hopefully we're moving towards getting through the other side of this. Now, I mentioned earlier that you're originally from Malawi, and you said that you've lived in South Africa for 10 years. So what city are you from in Malawi? I must start by saying I'm a proud Malawian. I love my country. I was born in Zomba, which is the old capital city of Malawi. It, it is found in the eastern part of Malawi. And I got my primary school education in Blantai, which is southern part of Malawi. I think I did my teaching as well in, while living in Blantai. Then I moved to Lilongwe a few years before I came to South Africa. Of course, from the university, I worked with a number of organizations. So I moved to other districts, maybe for three months, four months, five months, and then I moved back to Blanda all along. Okay. Now, I should have mentioned for those that may not be aware, Malawi is in the southeastern portion of Africa. Yes. I'm a huge promoter of getting people, especially in America, to know not just that the continent is there, but also that there are many different countries there and cultures and customs. So yeah, I think that's important. Thank you. So what was it like for you growing up? What were you like growing up? I grew up in a kind of broken family. I've never said this publicly, but I think I'll say this for the benefit of those people who grew up like me. My father and my mother gave birth to me born and for what reason I don't know they broke up when I was six months old and my mother got married to another man and my father got married to another woman so both their partners they were like no I can't raise you your son and so my grandmother was like okay I'll take care of Victor she's a good woman she's still alive I love her she raised me well I grew up in the church I was very intelligent in class if I'm not in position one, I'll cry. Mm-hmm. When it was time for me to go to secondary school, I was selected to go to two secondary schools, Presbyterian secondary school and the government secondary school. So my grandmother was connected to this Presbyterian secondary school. It's called Domas Mission Secondary School. So my grandmother was like, you know what? I don't have enough money for you to go to government secondary school. So why don't you go to this the church secondary school whereby your fees will be paid from my salary. So that's where I went. And going there, I, I made sure that I shine. I remember I met this American retired gentleman who came to Africa. He said, you know what? I'm interested to pay your school fees from grade 9 to grade 12. Mm-hmm. So I went to my grandmother. I'm like, Granny, you see what? Your prayer has been answered. So he paid for my school fees and to the university as well. Sounds like you had a couple angels in your life with your grandmother and with this guy. Uh, I wanted to ask, too, what language is spoken in Malawi? So Malawi has about 13 languages. Okay. I can't mention them all. But I speak at least three plus English four. My vernacular language is Chiawo. Chiawo. Chiawo, yes. 
But uh, we have Chichewa, which is a national language. It is spoken everywhere. Chichewa is spoken even in Mozambique and, and Zambia. So Chichewa is our, our national language. Then I also speak a bit of Chitumbuka. Tumbuka is spoken in the northern part of Malawi. Chiao is spoken in the eastern. Chichewa is a national. Tumbuka is northern part of Malawi. And then English. So I speak four out of the 13 languages that we have in Malawi. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> so you mentioned like these two important people in your life, your grandmother and the benefactor. How was their influence in your life and your teenage years? Yeah, my grandmother lost a husband even before I was born. She was a hard worker, someone who believed in herself. And I think I got inspired by just seeing her being a single grandmother but being able to support the grandchildren and other people. And uh, looking at this gentleman, he passed away, should be last year. He was from Iowa in the United States. He was a very old man who never had children. And he came to Malawi after he retired and he was like, okay, I have enough money to support people in Malawi. And one of the people that he thought he would support was me. Because it was my desire to say no. By the way, I was dreaming to be a pastor of the church, priest of the church, something that will save people. And that was my desire. When I was growing up, if anyone came to me and asked me, what do you want to be? I would tell them, I want to be someone who will save the community. So I'm not surprised who I am today. Yeah, so these two people inspired me, more especially seeing someone leaving America, coming to Africa to help people. That inspired me also a lot to say, why can't I do that? Not going to America, not going somewhere, but I can help people in my own country. There are a lot of people who cannot speak for themselves. Why can't I speak for them? It seems like, too, that maybe because you mentioned that you were really good in school and maybe they saw that both your grandmother and the sky. And that was like, OK, we can put our positive energies into this young boy at the time and foster you to grow and to thrive. Now, as far as being gay, when did you become aware of that for yourself or aware just of that in general? So that's another journey of my life. Growing up, I could notice I'm different from other boys. I could go to school, but I prefer playing with girls. Now, when I go home, I was a different person. I didn't want to be with people. I'm well known in my village. I'm well known that that guy used to be alone. I mean, maybe I noticed that I'm different from these people. And the moment I stay with them, then they'll be noticing that I'm different from them. But when I go to school, when I see, okay, it's post time, girls are playing netball, boys are playing soccer, I prefer to go to netball. And I was very famous. So I could notice I'm different, but I didn't want to accept it until when I went to the university. And I got my first job before I went back to the university. I got my first job. I was working for a student Christian organization of Malawi. So it's typical religious and holier than thou kind of environment. Mm -hmm. Okay, before that, when I noticed that, no, I'm different from other people. I used to fast. Eric, I used to go to the mountain. I'll leave on Friday. I'll come back on Sunday. Ask me what was I praying for. I was like, no, this is not the life I want to be. This is not me. Why am I different from other people? Until when I met this other gentleman, I will mention his name, Wise Man Chibwezo. He told me, he said, you know what, Victor, you are gay. 
and you've been struggling. One thing I can tell you now, you don't have to fight yourself. Accept that's what you are. Move on and things will be okay with you. And that was my turning point. And he told me, I'm also gay. I notice you are. And that was my turning point. Of course, it was now difficult for me to come out to my parents. I worked for a number of civil society organizations. I worked for Women's Voice, where I was dealing with GBV issues. If you remember very well, Madonna, the pop star, adopted the first child in Malawi. His name is David, David Banda. I was the program manager for that orphanage. Actually, it was me who signed for that adoption. And it was my first time meeting and shaking hands with Madonna. After working with Madonna, I moved to Women's Voice. Then SEDEP, the first LGBTQ organization. So it was a gathering of us queer people. Why don't we start our own organization? So I'm proud to say I'm a founding member of SEDEP, which is the first LGBTQ organization in Malawi. And when we founded that organization, it was difficult for us to come out to say, okay, we are a gay organization. And even the name itself, if you read, Center for Development of People. There is nothing like gay mentioned in there. Because if we mentioned that, they wouldn't have registered us. And so we worked underground for about two years. But at least we had few funders who were able to fund underground activities. And mostly it was mapping out the, the population, how many do we have, until we received funding from USAID. And then they said, you know what? We are giving you this funding on condition. You must come out and implement activities. People should see that you are existing. And the board advertised for positions, and there was a position for evidence-based targeted HIV prevention project officer. So I applied for that position, and I got a job. I was the first person to come out and say, okay, this is the organization. This is what we're doing. And I could attend government meetings. I could attend other civil society meetings. It was a difficult time because there were so many questions to answer. The most difficult question was like, so if you are working to fight for the gay rights, are you gay yourself? And my answer was simple. It was like, it doesn't take you who are working with HIV issues to be HIV positive. That was the answer that saved me because that time it was difficult in my life to come out. I had also to tell my family. And I like the response I got from my grandmother. She said, you know what? You're doing a good job. There are so many gay people in this country, but they are ignored. And that was in 2009 when I got that response from my grandmother. I like your grandmother. Oh, she sounds like she was an amazing person. If we all could have that in our lives. And then just hearing, too, that you had another angel with this man who helped you to accept yourself as a gay person. Just hearing your story of how you became aware of being different, for me, it's confirmation that we're born this way. Because you're from Malawi, I'm from America. I hear so many stories all over the world that have so many similarities to yours. So it's proof to me that this is not a choice. So before you became a part of and was a founder of the gay organization, were there any underground organizations similar to that before then? Before the founding of SEDEP, we didn't have like an organization, but we had a big network from the gay community. So I would know that if I go to Blantyre, there is this person. And if I go to Zomba, there is this person. So 
the network was there, but there was nothing like organization to say, okay, this is where we'll be doing this. There was nothing like that. And you know, that time in Malawi, if I'm gay and they say I have this TI, I think that's what triggered to say, why don't we start our own organization and start fighting this kind of behaviors. If I have an STI and I go to the clinic, they would not help you. They would say, okay, you know what, gentlemen, if you want us to assist you, you must bring your partner here. And, you know, it's illegal in Malawi to have a male partner while you're male. And that's what triggered our anger and our passion to say, no, 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 we can't sit like this. Much as we know it's illegal in Malawi, we can always fight for, for the country to accept us. I remember even when I worked where Madonna adopted a child, I went there as a volunteer. After a month, they said, you are not going anywhere. You're going to work here. We like you. That's when they hired me. They sent me back to school to do project management, and they sent me to Canada. I came back. They said, according to our policy here, you cannot continue working here if you're not married. So you better get married for you to continue working here. For me... At my age, I don't think I'm ready to get married. That was my excuse to them. I'm not getting married. In 2008, I decided to say, no, this is not what I want. These people, yes, much as they appreciate my work, they cannot force me to get married. That's when I decided to quit. I think the very same week, women's voice heard that, okay, Victor, quit. And that's when they gave me another position as a gender-based violence project officer. You can see it was hard then. And the fact that you're not out, I had to quit my job. Wow. Now, you mentioned your grandmother was a supporter of you being your more authentic self. Now, talking about like you had to quit your job, did that become a challenge for you remaining in Malawi? I was one person who said in my entire life, I'll never leave my country and go work in South Africa. I'll never do that because I love my country. Now, I'm outed. People are talking a lot about me. I was called by my family and said, we hear this story. Is this true? Before I go there, I was first even to date a girl. I met her when I was still working for this gay organization. Now, gay community, they started checking on me. We hear that Victor is dating a woman. How come? And that's how things got complicated. And they started texting her. Why are you dating a man who is dating other men? So the girl asked me, is it true that you're gay? At first I was like, no, I'm not. Then I said, okay, listen, I did not choose to be who I am. I was born the way I am. That's when she went home. Now I got a confirmation he's gay. And that's when they disowned me. And my grandmother would connect with me, but she was growing old. So she didn't have much say. She was like, okay, you know what? The situation here is tensed. You should leave this community. That's when I disappeared. I contacted this other person that I was chatting with through Facebook. I contacted him. I'm like, okay, I don't want to come to South Africa just like many other people. I want to make sure that I formalize my coming there. Can you help me to get a visa to come there? I went to the embassy, asked for the visa, not mentioning about my sexual orientation. So this guy said, okay, I'll write a letter that you're coming here to do a training. I went to the embassy and the embassy gave me one year visa. I came here by bus and I stayed with him for some days until I decided, okay, I have a Malawian friend that I know. Why can't I go stay there? Everyone could not believe to say, why would you leave Malawi? You had a good job. Why would you come here? But I could also explain because these are homophobic people who doesn't know me. So I said, no, I just decided to come here. I lost my job. One guy from Cape Town said, no, you know what, Victor? 
you won't get a job in Pretoria. Come to Cape Town. Yeah, I started in Cape Town after I left Malawi. And I stayed, I think, five years. In 2017, if not 16, that's when I went home. The first person mm-hmm. to tell, it was my grandmother. Then my grandmother told me, you know what? I accepted you from the day you told me that you're working for Gapi. I accepted you that very same day. You haven't disappointed anyone in any way. You've been very responsible. So I'll make an arrangement for you to meet everyone and see what they're going to say. And what came from that meeting was exactly what my grandmother told me that, you know what, we love you. You're a very responsible person, passionate about what you're doing. Disowning you was not because we don't want you, but we were thinking of what will the church say about us having a gay man in our family. And that was a great, great connection, something that I never expected. I said, okay, maybe this is the beginning for me now to continue fighting for other people. Wow, your family. That's amazing that they gave themselves permission to question somewhat what the church is saying. That's a lot of courage because it's, I think, easier in some ways to say, I'll just follow what everyone else says. I also sense, too, that because you came back as a stronger person, as a more confident person, I think that encourages people to say, you know what, he's being his most authentic, real self, so we better accept this. When I came here, it was not easy for me to get a job. I lived in the street before I joined Passop. I started working for restaurants. I learned to cook. I learned to be a bartender. I found my feet, and that's where I was like, okay, I'm working years. This is not what I am. This is not what I want. So I started searching for civil society organizations working with LGBTQ. And the first organization to get was PASOP. They looked at my CV. They were like, you know what? We've been looking for someone like you. That's when I started working with PASOP as assistant program manager for gender rights and the LGBT advocacy program. After three months, they made the like, we are promoting you from assistant program manager to the program manager. Then the director in 2016 got a PhD scholarship to study in Canada. That's when the board met to appoint acting director for the organization. And I was appointed. Eventually, they saw the fruits. They saw the connections that I had with the donors. And in 2019, they confirmed me to be the director. And this is the Victor who works for Passover now. Obviously, the universe wanted you to continue on the path that you had started in Malawi helping people and using your experience to help specifically LGBTQ plus people. So being from Malawi and then moving to South Africa, what were some cultural differences that you noticed? I remember first few weeks, first few months, I was like, why did I choose to come here? When you're reading about South Africa, the constitution, policies, you'll be like, okay, this is the best country to be. But then when you come here, you see things that is happening here, starting from where you're staying. You want to take a taxi to go to town. You want to buy something in the retail shops. It's completely different from what you see from the TV and so on and so forth. Let alone living your favorite food, starting that new life of learning even the language. In my country, I'll just jump into the text and sit 
where I can sit. I can choose to greet the person next to me. But then when I came here, they could tell, okay, this is not a South Africa. And they'll speak against you. And they'll call you names. Maybe they can recognize you through your accent. It was not easy for me to adjust. Like It was not easy. And here, I noticed that in South Africa, if you are in a community or any place, if you speak English, people just look at you like this and they go. I was forced to speak the language. So those are the issues. Later on, coming to the laws, the constitution of South Africa, the protection of queer people, migrants, it is clear in the constitution that gay people are protected. But Eric, on the ground, it is a different story. South Africa has the best constitution in the world, maybe in Africa, number one. But the only problem they have is to implement what is in the constitution. People come here with a perception that, okay, this is going to be safe haven for me. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to go to clubs. No one is going to call me names for being gay. And you come here, it's a different story. I'm coming from Malawi, where homosexuality is illegal, before Joyce Banda. But no one has been killed for being gay or lesbian or transgender. Why is it that in South Africa, it's legal to be queer, but every day those people are killed? This is one part that I struggled with. I think this is why I used to cry seeing how people are being tortured or being stabbed or being killed while the constitution is protecting them. Unfortunately, when people come here, they don't have information as to where do I go for me to get documented. This is where PASOP exists. We can play the role of advising, but when they go to now apply the actual application itself, there they meet a lot of issues like, why are you gay? Don't you know that we have our own gay people here? So why did you come here? So are you top or bottom? How big is your dick? Or oh, what, whatever. You can imagine you're asking that question to someone who is coming from Uganda. He's already traumatized. And they do that to make sure that you get irritated and they should reject you. And these are the people now you find in the street, the sex workers. That's what inspires me every day to say, I think I work for this organization for the sake of these people. I hear some similarities when you talk about the constitution of South Africa to America, where the laws are quite good, but you sharing the realities of day-to-day living for everyone. That's important not to deny people or to say you shouldn't come to a country, but to kind of make it more of a realistic thing. And then with you sharing how you had to adjust culturally from Malawi to South Africa when you talk about getting into the cabs and it kind of sounds like when people in America move from a small town to a city like New York or Los Angeles and you have to make those types of adjustments and then two talking about sex work sex work is about survival it's not about sex and there was something else you were sharing too that I um, wanted to touch on but you talked about adjusting to food that's a big deal like What's a common food in Malawi? (laughs) So in Malawi, in Zambia, in Mozambique, in Zimbabwe, our staple food is called insima. It's a corn that is grinded and you make flour from corn and then you cook. For the radish, you don't mind eating beans, fish, meat, chicken. It depends on your pocket. So in South Africa, very same 
so-called insima that we eat in Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, it's called pap. But the way they cook here, <laughs> I cannot eat up to now because they'll cook and maybe add butter, sugar. For us, we just cook that flour and eat with something nice. And for us, I think we grow our own food most of the times in Malawi. So out of the food that we eat on daily basis, maybe 80% or 85% of the food that we eat, it is something that you grew yourself. It is a different taste altogether when it comes to their food here. I think that's universal, going to a different country or even a different city, you know, and having to adjust to things like that. To backtrack quickly, with LGBTQ rights, I know that they're very good in South Africa. Is there a difference between how it is for somebody who's Black and somebody who is white? Yeah, so that's a controversial subject all the time. Yes, we all have equal rights when it comes to being a queer, trans, gay, lesbian. But you find that there are some spaces, even if I know I'm a queer person, I would not go. It is meant for white people. And there are those cheaper places meant for black community. Regardless of all having equal rights, people are divided. And white people are always get a good share of whatever is happening. I'll give you an example I'll say about Cape Town Pride. Cape Town Pride always happens in February. Cape Town City as it is, it has a black community, it has white community, it has colored community. But when it comes to organizing Cape Town Pride, you find that people who are on top, they're all white. You don't know where the funding came from. I'll say this as a black person, most of it activities are given to white people. There are some brave women and men from the black community who said they just want us to go there and parade, but they don't want to involve us from the beginning. So they started what we call Kumbulan Pride. The other thing is most of the people who are killed or who are attacked based on sexual orientation, gender identity, are black people. But when you take such cases to the white community, say, okay, let's work together and make sure that these issues should not happen again. No white people be interested to be part of the fight. So Kumbulan pride, it means remember them. Kumbulan meaning remember them. Kumbulan pride happens always in May. We don't just go to the street and celebrate. We always look at how many people are killed. So we always remember those people and we rotate. It will go to the townships where these people are killed. So we rotate this year, this township, this year, this township. So we parade in those streets and we go to the local police station and give a petition. People are being killed here. Please protect us. And that has been now a pride that has been loved. And even now some white people say, no, I think this is the meaning of pride. So there is, yes, a gap between white community and black. That's a challenge also in America still. The media creates a perception that it's all the same. But yeah, as far as the organization and the administrative part of it, there is still that challenge of making sure that that's more diverse and that the events are more diverse for the people involved in the community. Do you see yourself ever returning to Malawi? From the beginning, I said I'm a proud Malawian. (laughs) Recently, we started a project. We're calling it Hand to Hand Project. 
What we're doing with hand-to-hand project is to work with other civil society organizations working in Southern Africa, like Zimbabwe, Botswana, Malawi, Mozambique. We started that project to make sure that there should be a link between us and other key organizations working in those countries. I remember the first time I went to Malawi with this project, I met someone that is not a queer person, but what he said to me, he said, Victor, you are doing a good job. But one thing you have to know, your people in Malawi are suffering more than people in South Africa. You must come back home. So to answer your question, I think working here, I'm well equipped to go back to my country, fighting for the rights of people. It's not about queer. It's about children. It's about women. It's about the elderly. I hate it when I see someone say, I'm a human rights defender, I fight for women. And then you say, I hate gay people. I always question such kind of activism. For me, it's about a human being. So whether I'll go back to my country and fight for queer people, women, children, I'll be happy. So I see myself going back to my country someday and make sure that my people understand the meaning of human rights. You might be interested to know that being here never made me to stop talking about my country, stop rebuking bad things happening in my country. So I kept on writing even open letters. I always believe in the truth. If something is wrong, it is wrong. So I kept on uh, writing open letters until I was sued for defamation while in South Africa. And they wanted me to pay $20 million. All they're doing is to shut my mouth so that I should not speak. They hired lawyers here in Cape Town. And what I did was to contact one of a human rights defender organization. They hired even people. They started texting me, threatening me. We're going to kill you. And I was keeping those messages and they withdrew the case. Even here, I've been attacked so many times, so many times. I hear a lot of compassion in your story and your journey so far. And um, I hear, too, that other people get that from you, both in South Africa and Malawi. There's also the fighter spirit and the courage that it takes. You know, we have all these laws in all these countries all over the world. What's behind them is the people like you who put their life on the line. Thank you. My journey of activism is very small compared to yours. I very much look forward to sharing the story of yours with hopefully my growing community with this podcast. And and I thank you so much again for agreeing to be on here. I really thank you from the bottom of my heart because sharing this information, I think also helps people to understand the real life of a black community. We have black people in Europe. Black people should be treated equal just like any human being. What you just said kind of ties into how I started this. Being here in Europe, I always tell people back home that I see Black people everywhere I've gone in Europe. But this particular platform actually came out of frustration because whenever I typed in Black queer men, just to look up support groups, it was always pornography. And I'm like, we are so much more than that. Why am I not finding stories like yours? And why does it take me doing a lot of research to find out how many people like you are making a difference? Yeah. I was in Norway in 2019. I was invited to speak at the Oslo Freedom Forum. I think you know it. It's a gathering of about 2,000 activists. I love when I get such spaces because I want people to know about what a black queer person is going through. So with this space here today, I'm so excited. And please keep it up. I know it might be tough, but keep it up. This is how we're going to spread the word. Thank you. I need to hear that. Um, Where can we find you online? 
So I'm on Facebook, Victor Ndluli, M-D-L-U-L-I. I'm on Twitter, Victor Chikalogwe. Yeah, but mostly I'd love people to email me. I enjoy getting feedbacks or any question. Okay, cool. Thank you. I'll make sure to add those. So um, again, thank you very much. And I'll let you get back to the remainder of your day. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends, too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time. <laughs>